0: Hi, this is Valerie Payne, and you are listening to Season 3 of Finding Unity. So welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in again. Um, I'm super excited um, to have you here And kind of meet um, through this podcast some of the people who I've been able to talk to and connect with. I've really, I've met some incredible people. I've been able to reconnect with some incredible people. And I'm just excited for you to hear their story and how they've been able to find unity in their unique circumstances through healing, seeking understanding, connection, and love. Um, Something that has been on my mind and I've been thinking about a lot is self-esteem. Um, for those of you who've been listening, I've mentioned that I'm going through this certification program for positive psychology and, and, um, I've just been doing a lot of reading on self-esteem. So yeah, so I just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about self-esteem and, and maybe listening, you, you you have the thought, you know, what does self-esteem have to do with finding unity? So I read, um, in a book called, um, Inter- Intimate Relationships, this, the seventh edition um, by Roland S. Miller. Um, he talks about relationships and the impact of self-esteem on relationships. So I'm just going to read this quote from the book where he mentions a different research, st- um, some research that was done on self-esteem. And it says, A compelling program of research by Sandra Murray, John Holmes, Joanne Wood, and Justin Cavallo. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly has demonstrated that people with low self-esteem sometimes sabotage their relationships by underestimating their partner's love for them and perceiving disregard when none exists. Even in their closest relationships, people with low self-esteem typically harbor serious but unwarranted insecurities about their partner's feelings for them. This leads them to overreact to their partner's occasional bad moods. They feel more rejected, experience more hurt, and get more angry then do those with higher self-esteem and these painful feelings make it harder for them to behave constructively in response to their imagined peril whereas people with high self-regard draw closer to their partners and seek to repair the relationship so what does self-esteem have to do with finding unity regardless of our relationship whether it's with um a ro- whether it's a romantic relationship or a relationship with a sibling um, our self-esteem can sabotage those relationships Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about how we can help to foster self-esteem in children and then also how we can build self-esteem in ourselves. And so I'm really just going to be reading a lot of material and research I've gathered and kind of give some thoughts on that. But um, a lot of readings that I've done have been from Dr. Nathaniel Brandon. Um, And in, in his book, Honoring the Self, he says, The tragedy of many people's lives is that in accepting the verdict that they are not enough, they spend their years exhausting themselves in pursuit of the holy grail of enoughness. If I make a successful marriage, then I will be enough. If I make so many thousand dollars a year, then I will be enough. One more promotion, and I will be enough. One more sexual conquest, and I will be enough. One more doubling of my assets. One more person telling me I'm lovable, then I will be enough. But I can never win the battle for enoughness on these terms. The battle was lost the day I conceded there was anything needed to be proved. I can free myself from the negative verdict that burdens my existence only by rejecting this very premise. So Nathaniel Brandon has done so much work on self-esteem. Our self-esteem is developed when we're children. Those young years are essential. And so Nathaniel Brandon did, um, wrote an article t- titled Your Role in Your Child's Self-Esteem. And he gives parents ideas of what to do. And he just gives four basic principles that I love. I think some of them sound pretty basic, but um, but it's good to, to have. One is treat your child with respect. Um, the second one is the importance of touch. It's interesting because he says through touch, we send sensory s- stimulation that helps the child's brain develop. The third is inspire rather than demand. And I love I love this part because he says it's done through love, respect, and acceptance. And he also talks about the importance of allowing your child to struggle. Um, he says... The parent may be motivated by good intentions in trying to solve problems for the child, but the parent is really aborting the child's learning process. Children need to know that the extent of their own abilities, that they can overcome problems in the world, even if it takes a certain amount of effort. And so I think that's interesting because sometimes as parents or adults, we want to Help children and solve their problems, but it's an important part of their self esteem for them to figure things out on their own um, and to foster that learning experience instead of giving the answers. The fourth is encourage your child's curiosity. And I love this because it, he says, you know, take his or her probing questions seriously and with respect instead of dismissing them as silly or trivial. One of the most important things you can do. To nurture a child's curiosity is teach them how to think, not what to think. And I love this specifically because I was a very curious child. <laughs> I often was asking questions in high school in my um, when I was in my seminary class. I, I won a, an award for asking the most intriguing questions. And actually, even as a college graduate, I just found... I won some kind of senior best award for asking the most questions. (laughs) Um, So I've always been a very inquisitive person and um, loved learning. I'm super grateful for my parents for being patient enough to answer all of my many questions, not just answer them. I'm going back to the third point of inspire rather than demand. My parents, especially my father, I remember asking a lot of questions. My father would always direct me to find the answers. He would tell me where to look and say, you need to go find it yourself. And that was a really um, a big growing experience for me. So I love those four points of developing your child's self-esteem. So now the question is, how do we foster self-esteem in ourselves, right? So there are a couple of professionals that I'm going to reference here that give some insights on self-esteem. But I want to refer again to Dr. Nathaniel Brandon's work on what he calls the six pillars of self-esteem. I do feel like a lot of them cross over, but some of them are a little more basic, so I'll just kind of read. Um, I'm, I may be butchering the names on these, so I apologize to these professionals. Um, but one was an article that was in Psychology Today by um, Dr. Deborah Koshaba, And um, those are, one, being mindful of your thoughts and feelings, which um, Brandon continues to elaborate on. So we'll go into that in a little bit. Um, Two is act on what you need rather than on what you want. The third is practice good self-care. The fourth is set boundaries. Protect yourself, forgive yourself, live intentionally. Um, And then another doctor, Dr. Borisenko, lists five aspects of being resilient, which I feel relate to self-esteem as well. And she says, the first, resilient people are realists, which Brandon also talks more about. So we'll go into that. Um, Two, we are meaning-making animals. And so she talks about the importance of making meaning of what happens. That can very much have a spiritual component. And so we'll talk about self-esteem and the importance of spirit or the impact of spirituality on self-esteem as well and and, in a little bit later Um, the third is creativity which Brandon had mentioned as well in the importance of fostering self-esteem in children the fourth is social support and the fifth is a sense of humor so now diving into Brandon's six pillars of self-esteem this is what self-esteem is and is not he talks about self-esteem first of all is confidence in our mind ability to think and that success achievement fulfillment and happiness are right and natural for us and so when I I think about that I think about hope and the importance of hope in self-esteem and and where does that hope come from for you for me my hope is centered in my spirituality and so he does not mention that in that point right there but I see a relation between the importance of having a belief in a higher power and a higher purpose in order to have that hope. So the first thing that he talks about, um, the first point is living consciously. So being in the moment, being present in what we are doing and when we are doing it. Um, and so I just kind of thought about how many of us are talking to a friend and then a text comes in and we we digress from the conversation and we're not fully present. Um, And I thought about me personally, I I feel like I definitely have um, some ADHD symptoms and so Um, For me, I have to be very intentional about living consciously and living in the moment. But another, another aspect of living consciously besides being present is being open to information, knowledge, and feedback. Seeking understanding, which I love because that's a part of this podcast, right? My mission statement for this podcast is finding unity through seeking understanding, healing, connection, and love. And so I love that one of those principles is seeking understanding. And it says not only in the world external to self, but also our inner world so that we don't blind ourselves. Um, The second principle that he talks about is self-acceptance. So being willing to own and take responsibility for our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions without evasion, denial, or disowning. And this is a part of one of the other principles that was was mentioned of mindfulness, Um, recognizing our feelings, looking at our feelings, and being okay with those feelings are. So he says, it's the ability to look at one's thoughts, experience one's emotions, and look at one's actions without necessarily liking, endorsing, or condoning them. So owning our actions and accepting our thoughts and feelings. I actually wrote a song recently about being alone. and. I remember thinking, this song has so many thinking errors and it's going to be like, it sounds so negative. People are going to think I'm in this depressed state. It's going to make other people depressed because it's just a song that's a pure thinking error. um, However, I wanted to validate that sometimes We feel that way and we experience those thinking errors and it's having those moments of irrational and negative beliefs that gets us to the point where we can sit and dissect the thinking errors. But sometimes we have to sit in the moment and recognize those thoughts and recognize those feelings. The third point that he mentions is self-responsibility and that's realizing we are the author and able to make cho- and choices of our actions. I think self-acceptance um, is what leads us to responsibility, kind of what I was mentioning before with that song I had written. Being able to recognize what's going on, recognize our feelings, and understand what's happening in our thought process is what can lead to self-responsibility. He says, um, if we need... the the cooperation of others to achieve our goals, we must offer values in exchange. And the question is not who to blame, but always what needs to be done. And I love that because I think about like, if we're going to talk about self-responsibility and that we actually are able to own our own decisions and own our life choices, um, sometimes... The devil's advocate might say, well, what about in situations like um, dating and marriage where you don't always have a choice of someone else? Or if you have a child who makes a decision, what if you don't have a choice? And so I like what he says that the question is not who to blame, but always what needs to be done. It's very solution focused. And I also wrote, um, what do I need to do? Because in each situation, we can't control what others are doing, but we can control our own actions and what we're doing. The fourth step is self-assertiveness. And he talks about being authentic in our dealings with others. So this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the importance of being true um, to uh, being authentic in our interactions and how we're treating others. And I I like it because he doesn't just talk about not being fake, but also about how we can be respectful of others. So he says, treating our values and persons with decent respect and social context, refusing to fake the reality of who we are or what we esteem in order to avoid disapproval. The willingness to stand up for ourselves and ideas in appropriate ways in appropriate contexts. So I really like what he says here because I feel like he talks about being respectful to our own values and to others. If we don't know our values, we we can't stand up for them. So standing up for our values can be empowering. It reminds me, it reminds me of the two commandments: love God with all your heart. So um, I look at that anyway as being true to your values, and the second commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So respecting others. But also, it's hard to respect others when we don't respect ourselves, and so that commandment is love other or love your neighbor as yourself. The fifth point is living purposefully, and this was another point that was brought up in some of the other ones that I had mentioned earlier um, from the other doctors. Um, but it's identifying those short-term and long-term goals and actions needed to attain them, formulating an action plan, organizing behavior in the service of those goals, monitoring action to be sure we can stay on track, and paying attention to outcomes so so as to recognize it Um, And if and when we need to go back to the drawing board. And I would even add to what he said there with going back to the drawing board, um, that when we go back to the drawing board, we're back in that solution focus mode instead of that self-pity because something didn't work out mode, which I think is really important and something that needs to be intentional in order for us to facilitate and foster self-esteem. the sixth point that he mentions is personal integrity and that is living with congruence between what we know what we profess and what we do so telling um, the truth honoring commitments exemplifying in action the values we profess to admire honestly when i read these um, these different six points that nathaniel brandon mentions um, i think back to when i was a youth at church and our young women's theme, which is different for youth now, but when I was in the organization for the girls as, as a youth, um, our, our young women's theme mentioned to have integrity, knowledge, choice and accountability, good works and integrity. And I feel like a lot of those principles apply to these principles of self-esteem, which I think is pretty awesome, actually. With that being said, Brandon does give a caution towards people who say, you know, realize, just turn everything over to God. You don't need self-esteem. Just turn things to him. And he says, consider what, what this implies if it's taken literally. Um, we don't need to live consciously, he says. We don't need to act self-responsibly. We don't need to have integrity. All we have to do is surrender responsibility to God. and effortless self-esteem is guaranteed. So maybe I'm hopeful and naive, but I do believe most people are intentional about living consciously, self-acceptance, self-responsibility, of self-assertiveness, of purposefulness, of integrity. I do believe those six principles mirror faith, divine nature, individual worth, knowledge, choice and accountability, good works and integrity. Um, so so I believe most people are striving for that. But he gives that caution just to make sure that we all are owning our own paths in our own life and not leaving it to be acted upon, but that we are able to act. There's another really good quote that talks about self-love. And this one is not by Nathaniel Brandon. It's by a different author. It's It talks about self-love regarding self-esteem. And it says, Self-love can be considered the spiritual component of your self-esteem. If you have developed a mature spirituality, you are more likely to experience self-love than someone who has not. This is based on your belief that you are unconditionally loved and accepted by God or your concept of universal power. That for me is what drives living consciously, having self-acceptance, self-responsibility, self-assertiveness, of purposefulness, and of integrity. I hope those six principles and these concepts that I've shared on self-esteem have been helpful for you in finding unity through healing, connection, seeking understanding, and having greater empathy and love. And I feel honestly like... Um, There's so much to self-esteem I want to talk about. I would love to do another episode on addiction and codependency and what what that all looks like. But I genuinely believe as we build self-esteem, our relationships and our interactions will improve and we'll be able to have greater unity um, with one another. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward. I'm so excited to get this season going and uh, make sure to tune in next week for our very first interview. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it on whatever platform you're listening to. Remember that it's okay to disagree. Unity comes when we can agree to disagree while still maintaining a love for one another. For more on Unity, follow us on Instagram at finding.unity or on Twitter at finding underscore unity.